0: We're live. Sonia. Elijah. I love your name, by the way. And uh, thanks for coming all the way to my studio to thank speak
1: to me. Thank you for inviting me.
0: No, it's honestly, it's my pleasure. And um, I want to start with introducing you. Now, I'm going to say what I know about you, but I really want you to tell everybody, the listeners, all about you. So you're an investigative journalist and... um citizen journalist as well and you're doing some great work on unpacking and finding out what's really going on during these covid response years um so if you can just tell me a little bit about yourself you know who are you when did you get into this what's your background and another question sorry for all these questions why are you still going on about this? Why are you looking into this stuff? Come on, you know, it's time to light up your barbecue and enjoy the summer. You know, COVID was yesteryear. So over to you.
1: Oh, thank you. Um well, so I um I started off as a former BBC researcher uh, for the, uh, documentary department. Um, I was never trained formally as a journalist. Um, like rightly said, I am more of a citizen style journalist. Um, and my sort of, um, I would say that I, I've worked many years in advertising as, a, as actually as a copywriter. And, uh, what that got me exposed to was the power of, uh, manipulation, right? Um, how to sort of nudge people to think a certain way or buy a certain product, uh, what sort of, you know, the sort of slogan, uh, how to campaign and all of that. So mm. that gave me insight. So when I, when, when COVID first obviously reared its head um, in 2020, well, through the media and through the government's uh, narrative, um, I, I just really sort of sensed. This was like some kind of big marketing campaign, like the way they were doing their slogans, particularly their campaign. Um, this is the billions they've spent the UK government on Project Fear. And um, the, these were all the ads, the TV ads, the radio ads, the huge billboards that we saw yeah. in early 2010, 20, as you remember. And mm-hmm. those would be like... You know, if you go out, if you leave your house, people will die, you know, stay home and yeah. that's it. And and it was just the way they manipulated people's emotions and how they weaponized fear. It was just it, I knew this was. There's something going on here that this is not a normal, you know. (laughs) So I just started to investigate. And of course, we had all the school closures and I do have children. So I was homeschooling. And then I was thought, well, I'm going to just start investigating here, researching. And one thing led to another. And I got my first piece published early 2021 uh, with the conservative woman. Uh, that's what they were formerly called. Now they're called uh, TCW Defending Freedom, and they published my first piece, which was on school closures, mm. and um, and then it just sort of snowballed, and and I just haven't stopped writing since then.
0: Great, and um, why don't you just stop? Isn't it all over?
1: Um, it's interesting. I mean, it's interesting you say that. It's there has been, I would say. As you know, unprecedented things have gone on, and the we're just. I think there's a tip of the iceberg, is what. Even in my reports that I'm digging out the information, there is so much more out there. There's so much more that's been hidden, and I feel my role as an investigative journalist is to bring out what has been hidden or swept under the rug into the light, and for people to know. People have a right to know what went on what's going on still the cover up um the level of i mean i don't i guess yeah it's malfeasance it's it's the 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 way the health regulators have completely abandoned their role to promote public health they actually i feel it's it, they've gone the opposite and the way the system is run the way the big pharmaceutical companies have sort of funded the uh, the, ver- the very regulators that are supposed to protect our health and be independent watchdogs have just been yeah captured um, and and it's just incredibly sad and it, there needs to be a change and it's not only that it's obviously our media as you know has yeah. been captured uh, for for a long time um, and um, it's up to independent journalists like myself. And obviously you're doing your podcast and, uh, alternative media that I think have, have had to step up and fill the gap. Right. That has, that has been, you know, there's a huge void, um, and, uh, people are hungry to have the information and to know the truth.
0: Yeah, I I would agree. I think people s- still are hungry and, um, I think the key word is independent people we- you know, I think that's the only way to go. Um we we don't have any vested interests or you know, we've got nothing to gain, everything to lose, and everyone who's working for the big corporations or even the NHS, I feel either are shackled in some way or are going along with the narrative that just they can't be independent and that's the problem. I mean, look, can I just do a little pushback? You know, you said at the beginning there was all this fear porn and the weaponized fear. You could argue that, you know, it was a pandemic. It was terrible. And, you know, the government's trying to help everybody. They're trying to nudge, you know, everybody to do the right thing. Um, is it really that sinister? Weren't they just doing what they're meant to do and protect the public and look after us all? And, you know, some people can be a bit silly and need more persuasion than others. Isn't that their job? Yeah.
1: Um, yes, no, I hear what you're saying. and And I would say early on. They knew that this virus, yes, of course they they labelled it as novel and completely, you know, it's so deadly. And they knew early on. I mean, we had Professor John Ioannidis, uh, Stanford professor, and he did a he did a he came out with a study early on about the infection mortality rate uh, of SARS-CoV-2, and it was incredibly low. It was like 0.0, I mean five. I mean it 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 less way less than 1%, um, pretty much on par with the bad flu. Yeah. That sort of, in, in fact, you know, the, the rate. So, um, that was known early on. Yeah. I mean, I've been going through a lot of these Fauci emails and, uh, a lot of the, uh, information that's sort of now coming to light and you see the flurry of emails back and forth between him and his sort of, uh, his colleagues. And I mean, they they knew all the data they knew it wasn't uh, incredibly uh yes if you had a com comorbidity if you were over a certain age if yeah. you were obese and you had other underlying health conditions yes it it's it's a nasty it's a nasty thing to get but for the rest of the population especially the younger population especially the children um it's it is nothing i mean it it's it's like yeah They have a few symptoms uh, and and that's it. But the way this was marketed as this is like the plague, you're going to get up and you're going to die. And also the way they treated people who were sick. So I've done a lot of investigations on early treatment that was completely sabotaged. I've done a lot of work on ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine these were known antiviral drugs i mean obviously if you take ivermectin it's on the world health organization's list of essential medicines yeah it's been around for decades that was completely sabotaged they uh, and any study coming out to show it worked they would they would just uh, try and vilify it i did a big expose on a group of experts so called experts <laughs> um
0: that's a bad word. No. Yeah.
1: I think they're mainly in the States and they were just going after any, uh, any, any study, any review, any meta analysis done on ivermectin to knock it out. Like, Oh, it's, it's, um, uh, there's uh, bias or, or the data's dodgy. They were going after to every, and it was just those ones that were showing it was a benefit. Um, and it, it's, 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 you know, they were just trying to make out that it was fraudulent and, You know, they were wrong. I mean, it's 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 known now that it's a very given early, right? Uh with the right dosing, it 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 it, you know, it alleviates symptoms, people get over it a lot quicker, they don't go, you know, it, it it reduces mortality. So that's one side. You have the suppression of the early treatment, you have the thing what they did with hydroxychloroquine, what they published in the Lancet. Um yeah. And that was known to be then fraudulent. You know, they had to retract it. So there's, there's lots at play. And I think at the end of the day, they needed to create this big monster, so to speak. Yeah. Like everybody was afraid of. So people would literally sit in their homes and wait for like the vaccine.
0: To I come. fell for the monster for a few weeks. I'm being <laughs> honest. I'm not going to lie. I fell for it like an idiot. And I apologize for falling for it.
1: Well, no, I mean, look, we... In the early days, you could say it's like a fog of war, right? No mm. one really knew. In the, in the very, very beginning, this is in March 2020, I myself was like, well, you know, I was like concerned, concerned for my family, concerned for relatives, um, concerned for the elderly. Um, but then something inside me thought, no, I'm not going to be afraid Right. And then I think I was probably the only person in going into supermarkets without a mask. I never, I never wore a mask. This is an, even in the early days when it was like you were the, really the only person I would get all these bad looks. But I thought, no, because how mm. can a fat how can a piece of fabric right protect, you know, first of all, yeah, if you're sick, stay home. Don't be going out and about. But also there's no science behind it. Right. Mm. And we know there was a big Danish study done in 2020, which showed actually it increases your chances of getting a viral infection having a mask. It doesn't reduce it. So, and that was a really big study that they did. So there was no science behind it, right? Um, Despite
0: follow the science. Yes,
1: yes, yes. And all this sort of sanitizing everything, yeah, you what know, was that, all about? that was insane because a virus needs a host to survive. Yeah. this is this is science 101 <laughs> a virus can't survive on a on an envelope or on your desk it needs a host um so that whole thing again it's theater it was covid theater and um do you remember the one-way system when you'd walk into a shop? What was- There's so many though. So I'm <laughs> the now,
0: but it's just, oh yes. the screens Because the virus can't go
1: round yes. or over, oh, oh, yeah. you know, it can yeah. only go
0: directly. Yeah. yeah, that
1: got me so like, <laughs> oh yeah, livid. I mean, just, and people just went along with it and, and this is it. And this is the power of the media, the power of fear. When you, when you, when you weaponize it, right, you get people to do what you want. And that is abuse, right? If you've ever been in a, even in a, you, you take that to a, a micro level of being in a domestically abusive relationship, right? That control that someone has over you, mm. the use of fear, mm. don't go out the house, mm. you can, or you can only go out at a certain time of day mm. and only once a day mm. just to exercise. I mean, that's all major abuse and gaslighting that went on. Um, but I, I really do want, love to talk about what I think my reports have uncovered, I've done a lot of work with, obviously, you know, I've gone through thousands of pages of these Pfizer clinical trial documents and on a non-clinical documents as well. Um, I was one of the early journalists to do that and expose a lot of data fabrication errors i mean just uh, i interviewed Brooke jackson the ventavia whistleblower yeah ventavia was a subcontract subcontractor of pfizer and she ran um she was one of the director of these these clinical sites that mm-hmm. were you know and what she you know when i was interviewing her what she sort of exposed and obviously we know the bmj did a big piece on that um but yeah there was things that went wrong early on that were alarm bells right and um
0: The only reason I was going into this, I was setting the scene, there's still quite a lot of people out there who actually believe in the big bad monster, the big bad sea being COVID, not cancer. They think it's a real thing. And us crazy conspiracy theorists, how disgraceful that we're, we're belittling it. We're belittling this pandemic, this disaster. But having listened to a lot of people and read a lot of things, I don't believe there was a pandemic. I don't think there was anything scary from what you're telling me as well. And many other people have sat there, Angus Douglas, Professor Fenton. The the data doesn't prove that there was this horrible, lethal pandemic. It was a bad flu season. So you're right. When you take that context, that information, which the government knew, when you look at what they did, their policies, the fear mongering, the, the lockdowns, the mandates. Now you then have to say, what the heck was that all about? What was the agenda?
1: And you mustn't forget the death tallies, the mm. way they weaponized the data, right? Yeah. So you'd Explain switch on the TV yeah. and then you'd have so many people. And then you have dying with COVID, dying of COVID, yeah. um, and then dying within 28 days, yeah. dying within, I don't know, how many months, you know? I mean, so if someone would to get run over but then they tested positive. They had to test them. <laughs> oh, I don't know. Or or just have, um, you know, fall out of a window, but yeah, they yeah. would get a test. Oh no, but that person was positive. Okay, they died of COVID. So we had that going on, you know. It was insane. The way they rebranded, you know, they, these were COVID. Just
0: people dying.
1: Yes. So, and I think, you know, I don't know what the exact figure is of the inf- the way they inflated the number, but it was like an astronomical figure that they inflated.
0: Well, I remember the curves and, yeah. and the red bar yeah. graphs and the yeah. charts and the Guardian yeah. and the BBC. It was to the, it got to a point where it was just ridiculous. You know, forty thousand cases up and deaths yeah. up, and now we talk about excess excess all cause mortality. I wonder was there excess all cause mortality up during the COVID years, or was it just been afterwards? Like you know. Was there an excess death or not?
1: It's showing there was a little bump in that March, April 2020. And those were the elderly dying in, um, in, in care homes, right? Mm. Because they transferred anyone who was sick from the hospitals and they dumped them into care homes. And a lot of those elderly got pneumonia and died. And the medazolam, And you've got that as well. That's yeah. another
0: scandal. Yeah. I need to find someone to talk about that in depth.
1: Yeah, you should. Yeah,
0: and um, yeah. So that was the only bump.
1: That was a bump. Um, but you've got a lot of the excess happening after. And yeah. what I wrote a report. Actually, it was for News Africa magazine. Um, it, kind of spring of 2021 when there was that. Do you remember there was a suddenly that surge of in the spring of 2021 a surge of COVID cases around the world particularly in countries where they introduce the vaccine rollout. I looked at co- islands like Seychelles and, and Malta and, you know, just obviously we've got Israel um, and you have the surge of COVID cases as soon as they introduced the vaccine rollout. So, and as we know, that ties in also with you have mortality going going on, you have excess deaths. Again, that's all post vaccine rollout. Um, and this is, this, is, this is sort of the horrifying story, I think, and a lot of what I've been uncovering. Um, so, as I mentioned before, they got people so afraid, right, that they were waiting for this, this so-called vaccine. I wouldn't call it a vaccine, even in biotech and Moderna's Security Exchange Commission filings. This is in the US. You have them classifying their product as a gene therapy medical product, Right um it's been rebranded as a vaccine it's not it's it's it we know it carries the code i can explain so pfizer
0: know. and biontech are spreading it's, misinformation
1: <laughs> i guess so um and this is completely novel completely experimental we know that mrna products existed before they failed they could never get past the animal studies because the animals died yeah right so in comes COVID, sort of bring in COVID, you know, if you think of like a theater and a stage, you know, exit, you know, yeah, uh, big, bring biggie in, man. Bring, bring in, bring in COVID. And then you have this, all of a sudden, the, um, they lower the bar of the sort of the safety protocols because obviously as you know it takes decades for a vaccine to get approved i interviewed dr jessica rose she spoke a lot about this and it's just unprecedented that what what would take years took months because they bypassed all the safety protocols yeah. i mean i when i was digging through the pfizer clinic the uh, the trial documents now in case people don't know this these are the thousands of documents that the fda apparently read and 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 relied on and based their decision on authorizing giving the emergency use authorization back in december 2020 for the pfizer biontech vaccine um in that when i went through those papers uh you there was a whole array of safety studies that were not done no genotoxicity studies yes. were done no carcinogenicity studies were done. Um, it's just no pharmacokinetic studies were done. Safety pharmacokinetic studies. I mean, the list goes on and on. And they were deemed not they were not done because they were not deemed necessary. And um, they then quoted a WHO guideline. I think it's a 2005 guideline where. And I went to it. I looked it up. What is this law? You know, what is this rule here? and the WHO guidelines that Pfizer is saying but they that's an excuse that they don't need to do it because of this. I looked into it and actually if you read it when there is a novel ingredient, a novel product, uh, a novel adjuvant and we know that the lipid nanoparticles which are encapsulate which encapsulate the mesin, the modified it's not natural mRNA it's, new, it's modified mRNA is completely a novel. They have two compounds out of the four. Um, ALC, okay, 0519, ALC 0315. I mean, I'm just, I could be wrong with the numbers, but I'm just off the yeah, top of yeah. my head. There are two of these compounds. They are completely novel. They have never been authorized in any medicinal product ever. That's before. just incredible. So why weren't these studies done? Because- if you go to the WHO Glides, according to the to that, it should be it should have been done yeah. because it's a novel it's a novel ingredient. Um, it's an experiment. Yeah, yeah. And then I and I I've gone into a lot of the documents that also the European. I've done a lot of work with the European Medicines Agency. Um, I exposed a big scandal that came out. Uh, these leaked European Medicine Agency emails. So you have this is. Weeks, just a, no just like two or three weeks before they actually authorized it this is towards the end of 20- so
0: November 2020 yeah
1: so November okay. 2020 you have a flurry of emails uh, between uh, so you have these EMA officials and they are all sort of slightly alarmed that well um, what was what, what the actual email speaks to is that the regulators including the EMA, MHRA, Health Canada, FDA, they all were aware that there was a drop in the RNA integrity of the commercial batches of the vaccine, the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine, compared to the clinical batches. The clinical batches were about 78% of RNA integrity, and that speaks to how intact the RNA transcript is, right? Now, if there's a drop, that That signifies there's a presence of truncated or fragmented RNA species in the vials, right? In the batches. So um, they were aware there's a drop. So there was a presence of these sort of broken up bits of RNA floating about. And they had no idea what the safety and efficacy implications were because of this fact. So, but they went ahead authorized And do you know why, how they got around this sort of dropped? It dropped down to like 58% or something like that. They lowered the standard. They lowered the specification. Of course, They lowered it down to 50%. So they allowed half of the RNA, the total RNA in these vaccines to be truncated or fragmented. Now, what is also alarming?
0: What is, that, what is the implication of that? Yeah. You know, what does yeah. that actually mean? So, what
1: kind of proteins are being expressed yeah. by these truncated, fragmented sort of, um, you know, uh, yeah, these molecules? So, and a, f- I, a few months, I can't remember exactly when I first published this, but I did a two part piece for Trial Site News. I also write a lot for Trial Site News um, where I had, uh, an expert who wanted to remain anonymous approached me with, with huge, I mean, I mean, I would say mind blowing evidence that Pfizer and BioNTech fabricated their Western blot assays. Now Western blot assays to is, is assays that are done to uh, identify certain proteins. Yeah. And what they did, he showed, you know, I would, it was, it was given to me this, and it's all in my pieces. Um, and I also spoke about this at a the spotlight conference in in Norway. Um I'm where, gonna
0: link all your stuff. Oh, to that would the, be great. Don't worry, I'll link it on my podcast show. So. Yeah,
1: so um you look at the so he did it where he was able to graph or plot using a plot profile the actual expressed proteins. And they look like little black blobs. Mm. And what um usually a natural Western blot and a traditional western blot, these Black lines are quite curved, they're smeared, uh, it's not clear, and the ones that were produced by BioNTech and that the EMA you know, approved and the FDA approved, signed off on, um, were completely uniform, homogenous, uh, computerized, and they were done on the computer, but the thing is we have no access to the raw data. Um, the, if you think about a computerized Western blot, it's like it's like having. Actually, another expert told me it's like having a um, having a a copy of Picasso, but saying you have the original. Yes. When it's just a copy of it. Yeah. Um, it's, Anything could be photoshopped. Yes, any and it's it's open to fra- to to manipulation. Right, of the images. 100%. So what it showed me, his, he also did a video where it, it shows that they had been copied and pasted across four different batches of the vaccine, transfected, across, uh, uh, transfected uh, with it, it amongst like, six different concentrations and it showed it all uniform and all the same because they wanted to prove to the regulator that there's consistency between the batches. But I believe, I mean, the evidence shows that It was fabricated.
0: Sonia, can we do a recap for a second? So let's set the scene. The scene is the idea that we had this awful pandemic that was killing everybody, the Black Plague, number two, you know, that kind of equivalent disease that's going to kill everybody half the planet. It wasn't there. It was a bad flu season. And the justification the government used, the fear porn, everything was totally baseless. And... The The drive towards the vaccines was clearly an agenda. They wanted everyone to use the vaccines. All the other treatments were wiped out, ignored, dismissed, ridiculed, mocked. Anyone who even promoted idea of alternative treatments, perfectly legitimate ones, were shot down, cancelled, deregistered. Doctors, you know, you know, registration was taken away from them. It was awful what was happening. So you've got a population who really genuinely believes there's this terrible thing going on. And the government's then saying, we can speed up warp speed process, we can speed up vaccine development. And, and you know, but it's because there's such a lethal pandemic. Now, the thing is, as soon as you get away with the idea that there is no lethal pandemic, and they knew that suddenly the justification to skip these very important steps gets a bit shaky, gets very shaky. Hold on one second. So you're trying this new Medical technique, gene therapy, that's never been successful. And I've looked back as well. We're talking about decades, going back to the 80s, where there's never been any successful mRNA product. And they roll it out to billions. They skip multiple steps. No real hard data is there to show, like you said, the pharmacovigilance. What is a safe dose? What happens to this drug? How long is it made for? Where does it go in the body? How is it excreted? What is the effect on the pregnant lady, the unborn child, the cancer risk? We, we don't know any of this. And, but we're told it's because it's this life-threatening disease and we need to do this. That's the, that's the cause. That's the justification because it's this life-threatening pandemic. We can't afford to, to do the normal steps. Time is of the essence. Um, and you said that it's modified. I would go back and say it's artificial.
1: It's not, fake. Yes. Yeah, so it's synthetic.
0: It's, it's totally so, synthetic RNA. This is not a natural modified RNA. This is, this is computer program, algorithm. They've just created so something.
1: What they've done, they've replaced every uridine with N1 methyl pseudoridine. pseudoridine I'm not pronouncing that right. Um, completely synthetic. So when the ribosomes come to read the, 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 the transcript, right, they get confused. So
0: what you're saying is that's not a normal base pair
1: that they're adding, because it's it's, four. Yes, it's four. So the uridine has been replaced. Every single uridine has been replaced by N1-methylsudiridine. methyl And Kevin McKernan has done amazing work on this and exposing a lot of, uh, you know, to do with this. This
0: is the first I've heard of this.
1: Yeah. So that's why it's nucleoside modified mRNA, right?
0: So you don't even have real... No. (laughs) Oh my God.
1: Yes. Yeah. It's completely synthetic. So now the EMA were aware, right? So a lot of my work, I've done a lot on exposing like these emails, these Pfizer documents as well. These are like, even I've got a copy of, um, well, uh, it was sent to me the uh, sort of PowerPoint presentation that was happened, you know, that they showed in the meeting. Can, can I just get you to pause? Why did they change that
0: uridine thing?
1: It was to evade natural uh, the, the, the the natural immune system, so the body, so that so it, it could get it could it could st- it could stay in the body. It wouldn't get sort of uh, degraded easily. It would stay.
0: Oh um, my god! And how long would it stay for?
1: They have no idea, because we have even now they said. Do you remember? So um, I've actually interviewed. Um, um, some really great experts who have been going through a lot of the FDA verback meetings that are, you can get access to them on YouTube as well. And uh, Dr. David Wiseman is one of them. He's based in the U S and I interviewed him because he's done a great analysis on this. And uh, we actually, I did a, an interview with him and I cut it with clips of the, these officials talking, these FDA officials. Yeah. And they, they were actually questioning uh, one of Pfizer's senior reps and they asked the senior rep, the senior, you know, oh, okay. So how, and this is a doctor asking the, the uh, Pfizer rep, how much um, spike protein is being produced in the body? Yeah. Where is it being produced? And for how long? Great questions. They had no idea. They the did, and they actually said, that's a really good question. Somebody should do a study on that. You know, they had the guy, it's just insane. It's crazy. I mean, it's, it's like, yeah. Um, so let's
0: break down the real, so, so the facts are this is not a vaccine that's misinformation yeah. saying it is it's gene therapy
1: yeah it's
0: experimental to yeah. say this is tried and tested is bs yeah this is experimental and it can reverse transcriptase into dna so this yeah. idea that oh change your dna is complete misinformation yeah. that's true and it now should. you're telling me you know it's totally artificial synthetic
1: we don't know how long it lasts and it's Getting ridden into a code, yeah. and we don't know what exactly what proteins are being expressed, do you remember I mentioned these Western blot assays? Yes, that shows the molecular weight of the protein being expressed, and even the Western blot assays that they showed the EMA they showed the EMA, they didn't come out at the expected molecular weight of the spike protein. they came out at different weights, so even that was like everything they did was. Made no sense, right? They were it, and and you even have the way they described it. They made out in the description where you have the image of the of the Western block but it's coming out a specific molecular weight. The description underneath doesn't even match what's being shown. Oh my god! And. And the EMA flag in certain reports, you see the EMA getting alarmed and like, why is this not happening? Why? It's not, it's not consistent. This is not coming out the expected molecular weight. You need to do more tests, more things. Now they needed to do further testing. They needed to do, um, they needed to show across different batches again, to show the express pro- protein. And they did a, a study where they heated up a manufactured batch. They didn't take what was already existing. They did a specific run just for this test where they heated it up to show that if this RNA is degraded or fragmented, it won't produce any protein. Mm -hmm. But the way they did it was, you know, again, I've interviewed experts on that and they've really critiqued it and it's complete bullshit The study that they did you know that it, it 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 doesn't show anything yeah,
0: you want independent and, re- investigators independent yeah. researchers yeah. to prove and and do that and yeah. frankly it sounds like everything they're they're coming out with is fraudulent yeah. and bullshit yeah so look there's so much to talk about because you are very prolific I mean I've looked at your stuff and I'll be honest I was getting a little bit down reading it I was like oh my god just when you think things can't get any worse you, you learn something new and think oh my god they are so devious in what they've been doing so we're going to touch upon some of those topics i mean before we do that and i think i'd love you to talk about the the, the pregnancy the effect on pregnancy the children yeah the push in that because i think if for me the big driver people keep asking me why, why are you doing this why don't you just get on with your life i'm putting my neck on the line you know i'm taking a lot of flack a lot of heat for for being outspoken i I've got no pleasure in doing this. I'd much rather be doing other stuff, but I'm doing this because of my children and my hopefully grandchildren. You know, we're in a battle and we need to, we need to fight for them. And I'm sure you're doing this for the exact same reason. You're definitely not doing it for any monetary gain. You know, you've told me about that in the past and you should explain that to the listeners. How, what kind of sacrifice you've made, Sonia. Um, I mean, you talk about EMA, that's the European medical agency and you've got the MHRA. these, these, Public bodies are meant to protect us from medical companies, pharmaceutical companies. Their job is to protect us. Now, are you saying from these leaked emails and, you know, that they were trying to do their job or do you feel like there's some people that were trying to do the job, but eventually, you know, the whole thing is actually captured and they're just enabling. What was actually going on?
1: I think it's a bit, I think it's a combination of everything. I think there's collusion. I think there's enabling. I think there's a stepping down, you know. What like does that mean? Sort of stepping down of like we're still gonna get this through. You you do the theatre right of all these like reports and right. you've approved it and it, it, it you know it tick tick all the boxes. But that's that's the theatre. That's a sort of and and I think they've they are. If you go through so recently, well, the past few months, I've been looking at the. FOIA released. So this is released not because the EMA, this is the European Medicines Agency, willingly want to release it to the public. So a group of medical experts in Europe have did did a FOIA request, Freedom of Information Act request, to the EMA, asking them to release all their periodic safety update reports. Now, a periodic safety update report is an important piece of pharmacovigilance uh, data now, these were done by Pfizer and BioNTech at the request of the EMA. So this is Pfizer's own data um, where they had to do these reports at these six-month intervals. Like every six months, they needed to submit it. And so the, the, so you see like six-month blocks of data. Mm-hmm. I've analyzed the first one, PSUR1, which is the first six months of 2021. And the, the third one, which is the first six months of 2022, that's what I've been given, I've had access to, and some of the appendices, because a lot of information is also missing. Yeah, And these are very dense documents. They're about over 400 pages long. Then you have the EMA prac assessment that goes along with it. That's hundreds of pages long. I focused a lot on the, well, what just really stood out to me, the, you know, the, you've got for example, the last one I did, this is the third installment, you have in a six-month period, you have over half a million individuals affected uh, with you know, adverse events. You have over 1.5 million symptoms like adverse events. So you've got on average one person experiencing about three adverse events. A third of these cases are, were classified as serious, Right. So that means involves some kind of, you know, hospitalization or it's it's profoundly affected their lives, right? So that's classified as serious. You have about 90% of cases where there's no history of comorbidity. So they have no other underlying health issues. These are fit people. These are fit people. The age that was most affected is the 31 to 50 year age group. That's me. Right. And you have women at least three times more affected. So so there's a gender specific harms that are going on as well. Now I looked, I I did it because there's, I mean, I could, you know, there's so many reports you can analyze it in so many different ways. I, I sort of focused on the children. I focused on the pediatric cases. I focused on the pregnancy and lactation cases. So I did a two parter part one. I focused on the pregnancy and lactation cases, and it's just really damning data. You have like hundreds and hundreds of cases. Uh, You've got the pregnancy cases and you've got the mother cases. You've got the baby cases, but you have a very high proportion of adverse events, serious adverse events. Now, what this PSUR speaks to is they use the terms transpercental, transmammary. And what that means is that the baby was exposed to the vaccine, either a breastfeeding baby, so transmammary, so that's via the breast milk. And you have these babies, these breastfed babies, suffering from adverse events such as lymphadenopathy, which is the enlargement of the lymph nodes, and you have facial paralysis. You have babies having strokes. Strokes. Oh, my goodness. Breastfed babies. Now, what's really damning is the PSUR, you have the comments, right? You've got, because it's Pfizer's report, and you say, you have them stating these cases, you know, these, you know, uh, so many cases uh, have been excluded from the review because they have been deemed to be non-contributory because the baby was exposed indirectly, to the vaccine indirectly. So they've just been eliminated. They mentioned them, but they refuse to discuss these cases. Um, I also analysed, this is for the FDA. So as you know, every month the FDA has to produce these, these documents The that they, that they want, that Pfizer want and the FDA wanted to remain hidden from the public until 2096 so nothing, nothing dodgy there. Yeah, exactly. Nothing. Um so very telling that they wanted that to remain hidden. So every month we get a data dump and I periodically dip into that and I look through that. And I happen to find this is in April, just this past April. Yeah. And I was the first to write on this. It got picked up in other outlets, but I was the first to to, to write, to see it, to spot it and to and to write about it. Um Pfizer's pregnancy. Uh, uh, And lactation cumulative review. And that was the time period from drug development through to February 28th, 2021. And you have alarming cases of women being given the vaccine. It actually speaks like given second trimester, having the vaccine and then going into labor really early preterm labor. And you have babies dying, you have them dying of pneumonia and what other complications of the baby. So you bring it, bring is on early delivery, preterm labor. You have, um, like I said, you've got strokes, you've got um, a lot of fetal abnormalities. And this is what I also found with the PSURs. So there's a pattern emerging. I'm looking at the American, what the yeah. FDA relied on. I'm looking at what the EMA of you know, rubber stamping and approving. And you have, a, you have a pattern emerging. You have the same type of harms. The same, um, uh, the fetal abnormalities are specifically to do with the heart. You had fetal tachycardia going on. These are babies now exposed via the placenta. So, right, transplacental exposure.
0: I'm, I'm getting very upset. Sorry. And angry, listening to this. Sonia, I'll be honest with you. I'm finding it very difficult to hear this. Yeah, this is really disturbing. You know, yeah. I've got. I'm a dad of three children, and it's really upsetting because this is you're corroborating what Sasha Latopova told me. I recently interviewed her. The podcast came out last week. She told me that this, Pfizer, the Pfizer and the military specifically wanted GMP lab studies, good medical practice, whatever labs, not the the routine lab experiments really wanted valid data to show what effect it was having on pregnant women and they picked the batches that were the most harmful to pregnant women. That's what Sasha did. She told me it's targeting deliberately targeting pregnant women and then if you think about it what what is giving the vaccine this mRNA jab to pregnant women? You're giving three shots to the unborn child and now they want the baby to also have it through the breast milk. And then they also want to repeat it because they put it on the childhood schedule and they're giving this child, this baby, this infant, this tiny baby, another three lots. Yeah. And you just think, what the hell? How evil, how sinister a person can be to do this. And I, I would urge people who are listening, just think about what Sonia has said. You know, this, this doesn't make sense. You know, the whole Nuremberg trial was you don't experiment on pregnant women, you don't experiment on children. Every doctor knows this basic medical ethic, tenant of medical ethics. You know, just don't go near pregnant women and children. And now what you're telling me, and my brain is just exploding. And, you know, I'm sure you've got a lot more to drop in, but I'm just telling you, it's difficult to hear this.
1: Yeah no it it is it is and it's it is difficult for me to write um i mean just even the last one i had to take a break cuz i just thought this is getting a bit too too depressing a bit too but something drives me to do what i do something just takes over and drives me and i and i and i am driven you know i i'm kind of i yeah. I, I, I i won't stop um and the going back to the pregnant going back to the Encouraging. So let's just use the word. So they actively encouraged. This is the spring of 2021. If we take everyone back at that time, you have the health, uh, re- the authorities. You have like the CDC in America. You have the NHS here. Just saying, it's so it's 10% safe and effective for pregnant women. And actually, they were scaring pregnant women. Because they were saying, if you got COVID and you're pregnant, you're more likely to affect your baby. You're more likely to die, mortality risk. When there actually was a study done, a Pinellas et al. study done, because I've interviewed um, an obstetrician in America, and she was talking about this. And um, the study showed, actually, if you were pregnant, you were more protected.
0: Well, there you go. So I know an obstetrician. And she, when I was talking about this, you know, why are we giving it to pregnant women? This doesn't make sense. It's an experiment. This is experimental. And I thought, you know, that simple concept of this is a a novel drug, giving it to pregnant women is not a safe thing. No, no, no. COVID is very dangerous for pregnant women. They were just buying it hook, line and sinker. And I was like, where? No, no. If you get cold, if you're pregnant and you get COVID, it's terrible. It's really bad if you get, that was the line they were parroting out to me. And now you're telling me that's not the case.
1: That's not the case. And um, now the data. So so the CDC, they come out. So this is spring, this is big push. And I've written about this. I uh, there's many facets to this. So they based it on this retrospective observational study.
0: For quality, yeah. quality. And yeah. and
1: and really, and again, this is unprecedented to recommend a medicinal product that's just gone under observational data is is just truly alarming. Mm. Um so this study was done, and they said, and and the EMA used this because you've got Ema Cook. I've done a lot on, on dissecting Ema Cook's speeches and what, she, you know, the, basically the lies, the mistruth, the untruths that she says. Um, they were saying, oh, we based it on this, this study of 75,000 women. And they were going on again, they all parroted, they all said this about this study. Now, actually, only 10,000 women um out of that huge number actually were administered uh, an mrna vaccine and what is really interesting here is the way this is how they manipulate the data is that a high only like i don't know about the amount of women who were in their first trimester was like i don't know like 5% or something the mm-hmm. rest were in either their second or third trimester yeah. so that totally skewed the data the results because if you were to reanalyze the data and just look at the first trimester data, the miscarriage rate just goes sky high. And um, when I interviewed Robert Malone, he spoke about this as well um, a long time ago. And they, base, they sort of hang their hat on this supposed study that supposedly showed that, oh, there's, you know, it's safe and, and it's been completely manipulated and skewed and um, you also have at that time i keep
0: hearing this i keep hearing from all my guests that the data's constantly being manipulated and skewed and what once I think prof Fenton even said it was statistical illusions
1: yes yes and in america this is what i i mean i wrote about this for Trials site news is that you had um you had the covid-19 community call and that was set up as a grassroots network, was just as this is a Biden administration set this. They injected over $6 billion to actively encourage Americans to get vaccinated. And what they did, they funneled it through the CDC. I think the CDC received like 2 billion. And then they funneled it out to all the uh, medical uh, boards, professional boards like ACOG. ACOG is the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists. They received a huge amount of money to actively promote the vaccine to pregnant women this is a fact this is this is the paper this is the money trail right so i i've written on that as well and um, wow. so you have the cdc not following the money and not following the science of course it's fol- the, you know following the money right um and and this is this is i mean it's it's really it's very damning so you have these obstetricians. Tampering
0: you know, isn't a strong enough word. Yeah,
1: I know, I know. Unconscionable. I mean, it's just it's criminal. Yeah, yeah criminal. Absolutely. And uh, you have all that going on. You have. Um, I mean, obviously, we haven't even talked about the children, right? So we know. Oh, that we're going, we're going to come to that. We're going to talk about the kids. So I know the MHRA and the JCVI base their decision to offer it to the children, right? Yeah. On, on the CDC data, but we there was a big expose, actually, even the New York Times wrote about this. This is like a bombshell where they said only the CDC have only released a fraction of their data. They're hiding so much of it. This was even the New York Times wrote about this. And they talked about the CDC being more like a political organization than a medical one. Run by politics. Yeah. Um, the, e- the leaked European Medicine Agency emails speaks to politics kind of running the show as well. Um, that they had to authorize this vaccine by a set, they had their date in mind. They had to do it before Christmas of, of 2020. And uh, I mean, obviously, we had the AMHRA. They were the first ones, December 1st, to, to authorise weren't, weren't it. They,
0: weren't they emailing themselves and, yeah. and coordinating yes. the release date
1: they wanted, in advance? Yes. They wanted to do it they without wanted. even the
0: da- data. They didn't even have the data. Yep. And they're emailing themselves yep. and going, right, guys, when are we going to launch this? When are we going to authorise it? Let's do it together.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So there's an
0: agenda straight away.
1: And they all so the I know for the EMA, they authorised it conditionally, conditional marketing authorization, and also that Pfizer and BioNTech had to meet specific obligations. Now, because you have this drop in the RNA integrity, that was SO1, that was specific obligation one, and they had to do a bunch of tests for that. There was other specific obligations as well. I know looking and doing my research and my investigations, many of their so-called sort of tests that Pfizer should have done that were were requested to do by the .MA, still have not been done. still.
0: So I'm not surprised, but I'm going to, I'm going to give you an example. This whole thing about the MRNA integrity and the you know, subject of, you know, improve the quality of it, I would say, even that's just ridiculous. It's like me fabricating an operation for a condition that doesn't exist and wanting to operate on everyone. And then the regulators picking me on the issue that I need to use a sharp scalpel at least three times during the operation. The bigger picture is, I should never have done the operation. It was bloody experimental. It should never have been rolled out to everybody. And you're now picking on, oh, use two, three scalpels. What I'm trying to say is, I agree that what you're discussing is important, but they're deliberately just create this nonsense to make us look into this. Oh, look at the, the bigger picture is, there should never have been any mRNA vaccines. Mm-hmm. It's experimental. Yeah, it's for a disease that didn't warrant it.
1: And we know that the lipid nanoparticles go all around the body. Yeah, and so that you know, you know, so you have those non. So, so Australia did their own uh, non um, evaluation of Pfizer's non clinical report. This is the study done on animals, on rats, I think, and it showed that these lipid nanoparticles travel or go to every organ tissue, including the ovaries, including the bone marrow, the spleen, the adrenal glands, the testes, the eyes, the brain, right? Yeah. And they said, and most people remember, it just, remember the, 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 the sort of, the the, speak, they, they, what they the said. The misinformation, yeah, it remember, stays in what, the arm. It just stays in the arm. What pole. a load of bull. And you have Ima Cook, just recently, Ima Cook is the head of the EMA just recently when she was, you know, they did it, they're kind of COVID, they do, they've done their own sort of COVID inquiry uh, for the European Parliament. And uh, there's a special committee that they set up to question these officials. And, and you know, obviously Albert Bueller didn't bother to show up. They asked him to come yes. and they sent his rep, you know... Um, what was her name? Something Smalls, Janine, Janine Smalls.
0: We didn't um, test for transmission or and something.
1: Yeah, you know. Yeah. And, uh, we did it at the speed of science and all of that, you know, and then she actually uh, admitted, admitted that the, 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 the vaccine was never tested to reduce, um, for transmission. Yes. They never tested it yeah. for that. Um, and you have Robert Roos, the Dutch MEP picking that up. And that went viral when he did mm-hmm. his clip to, in, on, on Twitter. Um, and a lot of these MEPs have actually, they've read my reports and they've used some in court. Michelle Rivassi, uh, she's a French, uh, she's a French MEP and she quoted from my reports when she was, uh, posing her questions. Uh, and, um, so. They travel all around the body. We know they concentrate in the ovaries, the testes, like I was saying, the the but what yeah, like we saying the misinformation or well, what they told the public, the disinformation, because that's deliberate, right? When it's disinformation, yeah. um, is that it just stays in the arm and or it get it degrades very quickly. Yes. It degrades again, in about nine days. Yeah. Right. She used that nine days. Um that's completely untrue because you have um, a study done, I think, by Roltgen in the journal Cell, where it showed that it circulates for weeks in the nymph nodes, like at least up to two months, um, and that it circulates in the blood. There was another study showing that it circulates in the blood for a long period of time. The nine days or the eight days she gets that from is from, that's when they stopped testing. So they cut, the cutoff time was eight or nine days. <laughs> so we stopped
0: testing up from nine days. So yeah. that's where it's the yeah. nine days. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And, um, and again, the drug regulator, like the TGA, that's the Australian one. They had that event the, their evaluation of that non-clinical, they knew from early, they knew that from early 2021. Right. So the regulators, they had the information they were aware of all of this. And again, these PSURs that I've been going through, the EMA knows about this. Um, but because,
0: they're not doing anything about it. Because they
1: conclude, the EMA in these reports, that the overall, you know, the benefit outweighs, uh, outweighs the risk. Yes. Right. That's always it has that kind of safety
0: tagline. We're doing it for the greater good. There'll always be some complications. But when you look at the bigger picture and how many dosages, I've heard this as well. People say, oh, but we've given billions of shots. And what you're talking about is a fraction, a tiny fraction of people have had adverse effects. You know, you're blowing it out of proportion.
1: I mean, what I have found, I feel, is that there have been crazy safety signals going off in the data, but they've just ignored it. Yeah, they've just ignored it, and they just keep saying no new. And this is this is like a pattern throughout these reports. And I've obviously written on this. Uh, Pfizer will say like no new safety signals have been you know reported. There's nothing new, nothing to see here. And the EMA just go along with that. They, in, they endorse the MAH that MAH is the marketing authorization holder. So in most countries, the MAH holder is BioNTech. In other countries, it happens to be Pfizer, um, where they endorse it. Now, I looked, I wanted to talk a little bit about the child deaths.
0: You know, before you go on to that, I just suddenly remembered. I'm really, really sorry. So Sasha said another thing. She said that the, the vaccine, the, the jab, the mRNA jab that we're getting is different from the American one. They're still getting the BioNTech something something number experimental one. And we in Europe are getting the Comerati one. And well, apparently they said, oh, the Camerati is just the brand that's name. That's
1: the apparently the brand name. Apparently Sasha name. has
0: said that they're two completely different. That's something, I know you're looking at me yes, as if maybe. like that's on you. Yeah. You might want to look into that. Yeah. Sasha made it clear to me they're two different mRNA vaccines. They're not even the same thing.
1: Yeah. When I know that they've labelled it differently... And obviously, I mean, that's, that's obviously, yeah. I mean, I I will definitely, know that's her research. I, I'm, I'm sort of talking and sticking to what I've done personally. I just only remembered it. But that's a very interesting point you made. Um, but, um, yeah, so the child deaths. so the, again, this is a six month period. Uh, we have, we have about, actually it was 82 deaths, for the paediatric cases, they classify paediatric cases as under 17s. So the children that were under 17 years old and putting aside the deaths just for a minute, let's just look at the injuries and the harms and the adverse events. You have thousands and thousands of uh, of cases. These are individuals suffering from adverse events. And I, I split it between two ages, like five to 11 year olds, and then like 12 to 17-year-olds, and you have thousands in crisis. you have a huge jump, like a, a, a 700% increase, you know, from one PSUR to another, because they obviously, as you know, it, it it kind of coincided with the timing of when they authorized it for that age group. And then mm. you see this huge rise of of injuries and mm. adverse, a lot of them classified as serious. Um, a lot, Now, this was also very damning, high percentages of cases where the outcome is either not resolved so that means it's ongoing or have or unknown where they just had no idea what the outcome was and that's for large amounts of data which is just really shocking
0: can you give examples of what do you mean by adverse because a lot of people will be like, "Oh yeah, they get sore arm, they get a headache for a bit," and you know that's an adverse. Yeah. effect. What are, what kind of things are we talking about? These children are getting.
1: I mean, for example, I mean, I've got some death cases in front of me. So this is for the five to eleven year olds. You have two cases. Where you have a six year old boy dying. You have an eleven year old girl dying. Um, and myocard they myocarditis. myocard. I mean, the, the, it's myocarditis. So it's induced vaccine induced myocarditis. We've
0: never heard of children getting myocarditis. And you know, just before you start. Giving these examples, I want everyone who's listening, if they're a parent, to imagine now their child being sick, disabled, not able to take part in sports, being on medication for life, or dying. And just think how would they feel if that was their child? Because I think quite often people in society go, Oh, it's not my kid. It's not my problem. It's just a tiny number. Just imagine. And I love humanity and I would argue, one death is too many. one injury is too many, especially uh, Sonia, am I right in saying that in this age group, this condi- this disease, this thing doesn't do anything to them. They were immune to it practically. if you didn't have a comorbidity, yeah, you were fine. this was a sniffle, yeah.
1: yeah, absolutely I mean, um yeah, I'm just it's it's kind of hard to know. there's so much data, but yeah, so you have these harms, so you have obviously um you know I, I i have cardiac arrest um you've got uh hemorrhaging intracranial hemorrhaging strokes um in a, children. Lot, a lot of nervous system disorders uh this is in children thrombosis um tachycardia um uh, i mean it's just yeah it's just very
0: i've heard a lot of this um nervous neurological conditions i've you know i've had this consultant privately tell me um that you know the cases he's seeing are exploding you know he's so busy privately seeing all these patients and he goes yeah it's absolutely driven by you know the vaccine in yeah. his opinion and it and you know you talked about where it spread around the body yeah you didn't mention it does travel across the blood-brain barrier yes
1: yes it goes to the brain yeah um, so for the example, this six year old boy who died, he died. Um, so well, the onset, so the time to onset of the myocarditis was seven days after the first dose. Um, his the the preferred terms they use when they describe fatal outcomes is like myocarditis, cardio respiratory arrest, and COVID 19. Um, and autopsy, it just says results awaited at the time of reporting, but you have this is within the report. Um, By the way, just in case people don't know what myocarditis is, it's inflammation of the heart muscle. Uh, We know there was a study done in January, 2022. Uh, This was done. It was published in JAMA, the Journal of uh, American uh, Medical Association, where the study showed that there was a big increase in risk of myocarditis following uh, mRNA, mRNA vaccines. So this is Moderna. This is the Pfizer vaccine. Across multiple age and sex strata, but particularly amongst male adolescents, it, there was there was a real significant increase in risk. Um, I'm going to backtrack a bit because I interviewed Dr. Jessica Rose and Dr. Peter Collard. This is in 2021. They had an earlier study done that they got published, showing they just analysed the VERS data and they showed a massive increase in um, risk in my- myocarditis to do with uh, teenage boys uh, particularly after the second dose mm. it got published in a journal and then this is this is around september october time just before the fda authorized the vaccine in at the young for the younger age groups mm-hmm. so it was a pivotal time so mm-hmm. this ju- this study could have really Put a spanner in the works, so to speak, um, because it's highlighting the the dangers, the risks of myocarditis. It got pulled. The journal just then dumped it, and they had they no explanation of why it got it got retracted. It got pulled out. Um, so this is showing this is this is the level. I mean, i've I've done reports on the um, the silencing of the scientists, the way the journals have been captured. These are the medical journals, yeah, right, um, but. I know I'm jumping around a bit, so anyway, so no, no, that's really important
0: because yeah. like I'm a doctor. Some people believe it or not don't realize I'm a doctor. I'm an orthopedic surgeon, and you know, I've always over the last 25 years read medical journals, and there's big journals out there, you know, and, and from a medical point of view, New England Journal of Medicine, the Lancet, the BMJ, and you, they're kind of like the Bibles. You look up to them, and you know they're they're incorruptible, and the the what they say is almost like you know it's. From, from god you can't question it it's science the peer review the process is robust And i think a lot of doctors really struggle struggle with the idea that it's corrupt and there's there is a lot of shenanigans going on behind the scenes and that these fine institutions that they looked up to are actually quite flawed
1: yeah yeah no they've been completely captured and and don't forget you had dr eric rubin He's based in the US. He is the editor of the New England Journal of Medicine. And around the time when they authorised the COVID vaccine for five to 11-year-olds, this was around October 2021, you have him saying, this is, this is in the FDA verback meetings that are recorded. These are like 13, 15-hour meetings. Mm. They're all on, you can watch them on YouTube. Uh, and he says, we won't know. If what, what we won't know if it's if it's going to be unless we roll it out, we won't know what the harms are unless we just roll it out, and that's what he stated. So it's just, and he is the editor of the New England Journal of Medicine, where a lot of the pivotal studies, of course, funded by Pfizer and BioNTech were published, and you have, uh, and this is a the thing they were they, they're they're all funded by the very company that uh, you know that that you know they're, it's it's their product yeah and they're literally writing this funding the studies done uh and 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 having it published in these in these journals and then you have the health authorities saying okay now we can authorize it now because it's come out and it's shown there's no risk it's and official it's, it's completely safe
0: it's the ultimate rubber yeah. stamp would, so
1: what do you say what do you say the- interest is just off the charts right Um, and I've interviewed Maddie de Grey's mother, Maddie de Grey, as you will, I mean, you might know she's- Please
0: tell in case people haven't heard who who this is. This
1: was quite a while ago. I interviewed them uh, Stephanie de Grey. And, um, so Maddie, her daughter, I think she was about 12 or 13 at the time. She was part of, she was enrolled in the, um, the, the adolescent clinical trial, Pfizer's adolescent clinical trial for 12 to 15 year olds she experienced, I think it was after the second dose, she experienced life-altering injuries. Uh, she's in a wheelchair feeding tube, um, a lot of uh, nervous system disorders. Um, uh, she couldn't walk. And, and it was just, off, yeah, it it is so, so sad, so tragic. And so she was part of that trial. And What is so horrific here is that you had Dr. Robert Frank, who was the leading, the principal investigator of that trial. He works for the Cincinnati Children's Hospital, which is where the trial was run. He knew of Maddie's injuries. He knew of the case, but he was the key author of the Pfizer funded study that was published in the New England Journal of uh, Medicine, where, where they stated there were no serious vaccine adverse events in that age group. So they completely remove Maddie. He lied. And, they, and this is what they did. They put her adverse events down as stomach pain. Isn't this and, the person? And anxiety. This is what her mother told me.
0: So hold on one second. This girl is left immobile, is only able to eat for a tube that goes into her stomach. And she's suffering from anxiety and abdominal pain. Yeah. So not gaslighting. What is that? Uh, I
1: can think of a worse word, but so, anyway, yeah. So, so
0: I Googled him uh, on Twitter, sorry. I Twittered him um, to try and find him. Is this Dr. Frank? Yeah. Yeah. And, in C- and the Cincinnati Hospital, whatever, they publish. And this month, our hidden gem is Dr. Robert Frank. He's a hidden gem. He's a hidden gem. Sonia, he's a hidden gem.
1: Wow. It's- I wonder if
0: he's got kids. Yeah, I wonder when he looks at his kids, does he ever think about Maddie and what all the other children out there and all the harms that How do these people sleep at night?
1: I I have no idea how they sleep at night. I absolutely have no idea. Um, and and I just you know so. So going back to this, these PSURs and this, these child deaths, so obviously just remind what
0: PSUR stands for. So it's
1: periodic safety update reports that they they're over a six month time period, uh, and they're used as a sort of piece of you know their pharmacovigilance documents that the EMA requested Pfizer and BioNTech to do to compile, um, so to monitor this this like safety surveillance to see if there's any safety signals going off. How know? do
0: we know that they're even doing a good job?
1: Well, we know they aren't because we have all these horrendous cases of all these harms and deaths and they keep concluding that it still remains safe. And they're labeling things like
0: abdominal pain and anxiety. So even the data that the EMA is relying on is completely flawed. Yes. So
1: I believe a lot of that is flawed and has been whitewashed. Mm. So we don't, we don't, the like the raw data has been manipulated. This is, this is the problem here. This is the root of the problem here. Absolutely. Um, because Pfizer and Biotech have been allowed to mark their own homework. Yes. Right. This is it. Yeah. They're being their own regulators. Yeah. Exactly. The
0: regulators have abdicated their role. To the people that they're meant to be regulating.
1: Exactly. And and I just want to go back to this case of the six-year-old boy, because this is so dumbing, because what they write here. So you have, and I just quote, the reporter concluded that the death had nothing to do with the administration of BNT162B2 and was due to natural causes. So his myocarditis, just due to natural causes. And, oh. and, and, but they, it just shows that there's undeniable bias going on because how can they write that when they don't even have the autopsy results coming through? Because it says that it's, it's still pending. So how could they then write that? So, and then you have a case of this 11-year-old girl, uh, girl uh, dying, again, myocarditis. Um, I mentioned that study with Dr. Jessica Rose, Dr. Peter McCullough, that was done in 2021. But there was a January 2022 study that was published in JAMA. And again, I mentioned it showed a huge increase in risk of myocarditis. Um, and so they knew, they were all aware of this. Um, so now a lot of these death cases, you have missing autopsy results. It says either autopsy unknown if it was done or it's pending. And this is Real, the, the real crime here as well is because they have not investigated the deaths, they have not investigated them, and because they haven't investigated them, they just write, Well, um, because we don't know the we don't know what's we, so they it there's limited information here which prevents any meaningful assessment, and that's how they whitewash absolutely, these deaths, right? So, um it's it's just, it, it really is uh, Do you want to hear horrendous. the contrast?
0: Look at the contrast in surgery. You know, if you have an operation and you die within 28 days, you have to have a post-mortem. You have to discuss it at the mortality and morbidity meeting because you did an operation yeah. and the person died within 28 days. It might be related and we need yeah. to investigate and figure out whether that's the case or not. And now we're, you're telling me that, you know, kids are dying, people are dying after taking these shots. And instead of being investigated, I'm, am I not right that some people are even being told, oh yeah, they died of COVID. So, you know, they're they're dying of the potential side effects, complications of these injections. And, and they're just, they're not even investigating. And if I'm right, the various data and the, the yellow card system it only picks up like five, 10% of these serious oh, yes. adverse there's, effects.
1: There's a massive underreport. So, even these deaths, for example, right? So, there's 82, but actually, technically, they're supposed to be 79 because three cases were mis misclassified and they weren't. That's certain. just the tip of the iceberg. They're, they're saying there's 79, right? Yeah. This is the under 17s. This is for that six month, the first six months of 2022. So we know there's massive underreporting going on. Um, There was um, even there was a Harvard study done, I think, between 2007 and 2010, where only one to 10 percent of uh, adverse events are are, are reported to do with the vaccines are, are reported. So there's a it's it's it's. It's it's massive that number. So you have to factor in that when even you're looking at the numbers in these official reports, that the actual numbers are going to be far far higher.
0: Yeah, because everything we're looking at is just literally on the surface, the tip of the, the you know the the, the iceberg that yeah. we can see yeah. underneath the waterline. Yeah, we don't know what we're dealing and, with. And
1: looking at the twelve to seventeen year olds, actually, that was a massive group who who experienced harms. It, they made up. So there were about 22,000 individuals in that age group that suffered from uh, adverse events, and they made up 4.3% of the total to post-marketing data set, because remember the data that was about over just over half a million people. So about 4.3% of that were the, were the under-17s. Um, So that's really significant that it affected that age group. Um, One third of those adverse events, again, classified as serious. Um, One fifth not resolved um you have uh outcomes as either unknown not resolved i mean that's just it's really horrific um you had 62 fatal cases in that age group i picked up on i just zoomed in on three cases of um there were three 13 year olds uh again all succumbing to myocarditis cardiac arrest they suffered from dyspnea this dys, 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 dyspnea i think that's the, short, shortness, the shortness of breath
0: shortness of breath it's, Yeah, it is shortness of
1: breath. um and um it's just, and then you have out of those three, you have two, where they state it's not reported if an autopsy was performed, and then actually in one of the cases, this is for the thirteen-year-old girl who did die. Uh, it just says in the autopsy, it just says adverse event following immunization. Um, now, also in the in the in the cases of these death cases, what. Uh, for nine, no, in the remaining 20 cases of deaths, it does say causality between the vaccination and the occurrence of the fatalities cannot be ruled out based on the temporal relationship, although no laboratory data or autopsy results provided evidence of a causal relationship. So they sort of put it out there. Well, actually, it might there might be something going on here like a temporal relationship. There might be, we can't rule it out that it's not causing, but we have no data, no lab data, no, no, no autopsy results to prove it. Right. Um, so this is sort of their way of getting out of that. Um, now also what was really alarming is that you have a website called Euro M-O-M-O, and, uh, it pulls, um, Weekly number of deaths it sort of graphs it up uh, this is to do with eu data and you have a in a real significant increase in excess, excess deaths in children aged between zero to fourteen years old, just at the time may end of may twenty twenty one you see if you see the graph there's a huge you know up curve that was the time the EMA approved The Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine for children aged 12 to 15 years old, and you have now excess deaths in that age group.
0: Sobering, you know, Sonia. I've I I mark every single time you say something, and I think, oh wow, I need to capture this clip. And you know, I use I make shorts for the podcast so that I can show people a little snippet of what to expect. This whole interview has been one. Like every, every moment, everything you have said is something everyone needs to hear. Every adult, every parent needs to hear this. You know what's really sad? As adults, we're meant to protect our children. And what I've seen in society now is people have pushed the children forward and used them as a shield and said, no, you need to get vaccinated. You need to protect granny. You need to protect us from this deadly disease. You're, you're spreading COVID you need to be vaccinated to protect us. The whole, do you understand what I'm saying? It's yeah. so horrible and ridiculous. We're meant to protect these young, vulnerable people. These kids are not affected yeah. by this condition or disease, but adults have become so fearful and are quite happy to push the children in front and use them as a shield. Yeah. And I would ask, I would urge everyone listening, this is not meant to be the way. We are meant to sacrifice ourselves for our children, not the other way around.
1: Absolutely. I 100% agree with you there. Are there any other bombshells
0: you want to try? What more have you got lined up?
1: um, Gosh. There is so much. I mean, I've, I, I I do encourage people to go to so they can you know they can f- obviously follow me on Twitter at Sonia underscore Elijah. There's a link tree website where they can link um, the link on my profile, and you can see uh, my work. Uh, I write for Trial Site News, um, TCW, Defending Freedom. I have my own Substack, Sonia Elijah Investigates can encourage people to subscribe there and read all my work. And I also write for children's health defense Europe, um, and the Brownstone Institute as well. And, uh, but, um, I mean, I've done a lot. I mean, I've also, I haven't even touched on is all the testing, the scandals involved in the PCR tests, um, the rapid antigen tests, those lateral flow tests that the NHS used, where they spent close to $4 billion on the Innova lateral flow test, uh, these Chinese-made tests that uh, it was just a, one of, a huge scandal there. The FDA then just said, well, these tests should be thrown in the garbage, right? But you have the MHRA going, oh, they're completely, you know, they're totally fine. And this is after they've spent $4 billion, um. So this was the actually the only sole test they used. This is part of the NHS Test and Trace, uh, which was a big debacle. And uh, so there's a huge, so there's a lot of financial scandals which I've also covered. But can we my, can we talk about that another time? Yeah, I just but there's think just there's there's so much. There's so much. much like about. compared
0: to some other podcasts where you're just chatting, them, they, you've packed in quite a lot. I'd love you to come back. Sonia, I'd really love you to come back. And we can talk about the financial scandal. I feel, I feel like you're going to be a regular guest here. <laughs> um, you know, you, you can talk about the financial scandal and the latest shenanigans you've heard. But listen, I want to end on something we can give all the listeners. Sonia, what would you advise the listeners, the parents, the children? You know, what are the things that you would say to them to safeguard them and protect them? What what There must be something useful, tangible. You know, we've talked about the harms. We've talked about the shenanigans. We've just literally scratched the surface. You're going to be back, for sure. Um, but yeah, what would you say to the listeners? You know,
1: yeah, no, I would say the days of you trusting the health authorities—I mean, oh wait, that that that's done. You know, you can't. You absolutely can't because they have been captured. They all they they haven't. They have not access to the raw data. They don't They don't know. They're just going along what they've been told, what the pharmaceutical companies have told them. Uh, so you have to do your own research. You have to read this, you know, I mean, go even when you're reading the published studies, you have to go into the supplemental information and, you know, all the tables and data. And I mean, you literally have to do your own research,
0: right? Sonia, I would say to you though, but not everyone is as smart as you. I mean, I'm an orthopedic surgeon. People think I'm smart. I'm dumb. I'm so dumb. It's unbelievable. I get a headache looking at all this kind of stuff. I'm rubbish at statistics. So I have a lot of sympathy for a lot of people out there who are tired. They've got kids to handle, second jobs,
1: yeah. finding the information.
0: Through, you know, you know, is BBC where they go to for the news? I mean, you're asking <laughs> them to read the scientific paper. I can't make head or tail of scientific yeah. papers.
1: No, I mean, obviously... Yeah. You cannot trust the mainstream media. You have to do, you have to go with your gut. I think going with maybe a mother, I mean, I'm a mother. So going with your gut instinct. And also if everybody's telling you, do this one thing and then you'll be safe, do this thing or get the jab or get your child having, you know, you have to question, I think start with questioning. And when you, then you will. Then you will embark on your own journey of self-discovery, so right? You know, doing your own research and and it's a journey, okay? It's not like you know everything on day one, but the beginning is, the step one is to question. Don't believe everything you're told. And that's that just is, it's unfortunate, but this is just where we are. This is the world that we live in because- there's so many. There's so much at stake here, right? And you're, you know, obviously we think a child's life. You know, you you can't put. That's the ultimate, right? It's a child's life or a baby's life, and 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 you have to, yeah. You you absolutely can't. You can't trust it. I mean, I hate hate to say this, or you can't trust anyone, but especially those organizations and or authorities. What they're saying, as if as if what they're saying is the gospel truth. Yes, it's not. It's not. And most of it, these are untruths, you know, or blatant lies um, or, yeah, or cover ups or, cover-ups, or, or it, it's just and, and definitely don't rely on the BBC mainstream media to get your news.
0: I think I think you've, you've nailed it. Absolutely. The, they're all captured. These people do not have interest in our health and our well-being. And it's sad, but a lot of people, you know, if you take couples, you know, a husband won't want to listen to the wife. He would rather listen to the news and the politician, Matt Hancock of all people, than listen to his own wife who's saying, hey, don't, this is not safe. It's like, why should I listen to you? You're just my wife. What do you know? That person in authority. I think the problem is people want to believe the authority figure and we need to somehow break that mindset, you know, because they're they're corrupted Uh, and they're not doing things in our interest.
1: I I think also the UK public, are very trusting of their government. This is it, right? Yeah. When you're very trusting, I mean it's admirable, right, to be trusting, but it back can backfire, right? There's there's it it's it's sort of when you're too trusting and you don't question enough and there's no critical thinking that goes on, then that's you're you're in danger there. And and this is what they did. When they made people so afraid, they arrested their capacity to be able to think critically. Fear. Immobilizes you; it paralyzes you. The mind killer. It's one of the most powerful emotions in the body and the mind is fear. Yeah. And I believe that you know, infam- like the knowledge, the information that that needs to that you use to combat the fear. Because once you know and you have that information,
0: absolutely. you're not
1: afraid anymore.
0: Oh, absolutely, Sonia. Which is why I'm so grateful that you're here. And you're 100 right. And you talked about weaponizing fear. They weaponized trust. They weaponized our loyalty and trust of the government. And, yeah. you know, there's a lot of weaponization going on, um, but you're right. It, and it's people like you producing fantastic content and uh, con- content, investigating, you know, finding out the truth, these nuggets of of wisdom and knowledge that you've just uncovered and exposing the lies and the deceit. You know, one day you know, people look back and really, I hope, appreciate and acknowledge all the work that you've done and the sacrifices you've made. We didn't even talk about that. So that'll be for part two, where you talk about, you know, how much time it involves, because we've talked about this off air. You know, this is not something you do in a half an hour. This has consumed your life. You spent hundreds of hours pouring through these documents that hundreds of pages. And, you know, A lot of it is gobbledygook. A lot of it is jargon. Deliberately so to mislead you and to get you lost in the woods. And you are, this is where I think your forensic mind and your analytical, you know, you pour for it and you say, that's bullshit. You call it out. And that's a skill you've got. So thank you.
1: Thank you. And I I thank you for a, thank you for appreciating my work. Um, and, um, yes, no, it, it, it's, I, I really thank you for your kind words and your, your support and, and, uh, yeah, I appreciate that. And, uh, I mean, to me, I, I'm just doing my job and, and my, um, yeah, I just, I just, yeah, I think it's, it's the re the not the information has to get out. And if I'm the vehicle, if I'm just being used for that, that's brilliant. That, that that's, that's, I, I hope, I hope, yeah, I hope it does make a difference.
0: It will. And I'm going to put all your links on my website. So everybody, when they listen to the podcast, will see how they can contact you and where you they can find your content. Everyone listening, thank you so much for this amazing conversation. And please not only just listen to it, but like, subscribe and share, spread the word. I mean, this is my agenda. I want, As many people as possible to be informed and educated because that's what empowers you. Knowledge is power. So educate and empower yourself and protect yourself so that in future, because trust me, they're going to come again. This has just been a warm up act. In future, we're better prepared and we will not let them take advantage of us. Everyone, thank you so much. Sonia, I love you. Thank
1: you.